Good morning, Bel Air. Well, before we get in the sermon for today, let's look back at last week. How many of you were here last week? Put those hands up and look around. Phenomenal day. Over 26 people were baptized in between the services and after the 11 a.m. That was a phenomenal moment. But I got to tell you, my favorite moment of the entire day was when I walked over uh, and I sat next to Mark, who was sitting right over in that section, and I asked uh, him for a prayer request. And he thought about it for a moment, thought about it for a moment, thought about it for a moment, and he shared, not for himself, but for his sister in Christ, another phenomenal participant in the life of this church. He says, pray for her. She's got cancer. She's got stuff going on this week, treatments this week. And I said, how many of you would be willing to pray for them? And the whole church, their hands shot up. And I wish you could have seen the view from where I sat. It's a view that I get every day, but it's a view that you very rarely get. You see, whenever I'm up here, for the most part, you're looking at me, for the most part. We get distracted and there's things, of course, but for the most part, I I get to see your eyes. And yet, for many of you, you see the backs of people's heads. You very rarely get the experience of being seen. And in that moment, it reminded me of why we're doing the things that we're doing as part of this church, is we want to be a church that doesn't just worship and go. We don't want to just drive through church. We want to worship and grow, a place where not only that we would see others, but we would be seen and that we would grow in community. I wish you could have seen my view next to Mark. And the only way we can do that is if we're courageous. If we step out in faith and if we ask, we don't, we, we don't wait for the senior pastor to say, hey, how can I pray for you? But we step out boldly and say, hey, would you pray for me that you would wait not until the end of the service or the end of the week or never, but you would maybe even in the midst of the service for people who are in the row next to you, would you say, would you pray for me in this season? How can I pray for you? How can I encourage you that we would be the church? You see, the church is not something you watch. It's something you get to be a part of. And it was phenomenal this morning as we launched these grow workshops. How many of you, show of hands, got to experience some of those? Fantastic. That's amazing. You, you, you did it. You didn't show up at 11.30. You showed up by 10. Now, and I'm going to put you on the spot, and I know uh, I didn't let the team know this, but I'm going to grab a microphone, and, and I want to take the time for this because I think it's so important. I want to hear from one person from each of the workshops. There was the learn workshop, the be workshop, and the do workshop. And I want you, if you can, to summarize in one sentence. That's difficult, I know. How do you summarize almost an hour in one sentence? But I want you to summarize. Look at that hand shot right up. Okay, so I'm I'm going back here. Why don't you share your name, the workshop you attended. And if you could just summarize in one sentence what you experienced, what you're taking away with you. One sentence, that's it? Okay. I'm Lauren Ashley. This is my mom, Kathy. Um, she's awesome. Okay, one sentence. Okay. Uh, I love the Learn Workshop. Kim Dora is amazing. Um, I would say the number one thing is ask yourself who Christ is. Not how he was when he was here, like how did he get here or what he did, but who he was and who he is to you. So, thank wow. You. Amazing. Now, here's the great news. That workshop's gonna happen two more times this summer. So if you were at a different workshop or you didn't show up today at one, know that that's gonna happen two more times. So we've got learn, what about the be or the do? 
I know it takes a lot of courage, it takes a lot of boldness, it takes a lot of efficiency to sum it up, and I'm gonna go right here and then back there. Why don't you go first? I was in B with care, and uh, it was about abiding in the Lord, and the questions that we were asking ourselves were, what is your deepest longing? What is your greatest need from God today? And if you could audibly hear God speak to you today, what would you want to hear? And those are the questions we were to ask ourselves. And then what's one commitment we can make to abide in Jesus this week? So that wow. was our challenge for the week. Fantastic. And again, that's gonna happen twice more this summer. Now, did you, were you in do? Look at this, how rounded up. In yeah. um, I learned that the greater work that Jesus told us that we would do is the harvest that we are to bring in through the love that he's put in us at this critical time that he will return for us, but we have to share him so that all of his sheep will be appropriately cared for and brought Fantastic. in. Fantastic, amen. amen. That's the role that we get to be a part of. And as we dive into this brand new sermon series, before we get into Ecclesiastes, and how many, by the way, is Ecclesiastes your favorite book of the Bible? Is it really? Yes. First one I've ever met. First one I've ever met. We might change that though by the end of, because we believe all scripture is God breathed. All of it's useful for, for teaching, for correction, for training up and living this life. And so there's a reason why God allowed the book of Ecclesiastes to be in scripture. And we're gonna go into it the entire summer. Now let me say right off the get-go before we get into it that Ecclesiastes is not the book of the Bible that you go to where you think that you will find only in that book all the answers for all the questions in life. Because if you do so, if you only go to Ecclesiastes, you're gonna leave very discouraged. Meaningless, meaningless, meaningless is this phrase that maybe some of us are familiar with, the book of Ecclesiastes. How many of you uh, don't really like Ecclesiastes that much? Put your hands up. Or find it confusing, let's say. Okay, how many of you ever heard of the book of Ecclesiastes? <laughs> yeah, okay, that's good. So before we get into Ecclesiastes, let's, let's dip our toe into scripture from a different section. And I want you just to hear that this is actually not in the Hebrew scriptures, not in the Old Testament, Old Testament, this is in the New Testament. This is Matthew 6. And as you hear these words, you'll quickly see why we went here first before we went to Ecclesiastes 1. Listen as Nancy shares. Do not worry. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. 
Why do you have so little faith? So, don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Now this passage is a passage that is familiar in scripture, familiar to Christians, and yet it's so easy to take for granted. I absolutely believe that if we go through Ecclesiastes and come back to Matthew 6 towards the end of today, you'll see it in a different light. Why don't you open up your pew Bibles if you have a red book in front of you or if you're in the front row, there's a little red book right behind uh, your leg. It's a little cubby there. If you brought a Bible, why don't you open up to Ecclesiastes chapter one. This is in the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. And as we go there, I'm gonna read for us just the first four verses of Ecclesiastes chapter one. As we start this brand new series and the series is called Two Truths, Unavoidable Questions from Ecclesiastes. And I say questions because the book of Ecclesiastes, its primary role, it seems, is to have the guts to ask the most profound questions in life. To not sugarcoat the answer, but to be willing to not only ask the questions, but to actually explore what those answers are if we imagine that God is not involved. And the reason why we're calling this series Two Truths is because there are two truths. As you go throughout life, if you live your life believing that God doesn't exist, then that life is what the writer of Ecclesiastes says is a life under the sun, the sun in the sky, the sun that causes this room to be so warm. That that perspective is true. And we'll see here, there's some deeply depressing, deeply discouraging moments where you're like, this is in the Bible? And, and I wanna say right from the beginning, there's gonna be moments in my sermon today where you're gonna be discouraged. You might even be depressed. You might even, and I actually had somebody say this to me after the 8.30 service, I had somebody say, I want to get up and leave. <laughs> so let me just say from the get-go, that's good. Because so much of our lives, we get so busy, we get so hurried that we don't allow ourselves to imagine what life is like without God. Or even if we don't believe God exists, we get so busy in life, we don't even reflect on what really matters. But I said there's two truths. Because in the same way, there's a perspective here in Ecclesiastes of a life under the sun, which by the way is used over 30 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. There's another truth. You could call it an above the sun perspective. It's a with God kind of life. And I want you to stay for that. But we're not gonna get there unless you allow yourself to be led by this teacher, by this leader, the writer of Ecclesiastes. So let me read Ecclesiastes 1 verses one through four. It says this. The words of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanity, says the teacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. 
What do people gain from all the toil at which they toil under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. This, my friends, includes the reading of God's word. All right, so this little section of scripture, this, this writer who's known as Koheleth, it literally means professor or teacher, whose role is to, in the Socratic method, to ask questions, to lead you, to prod you, to push you, to consider the foundation for your beliefs. You see, there's no happy medium, there's no kind of warm, fuzzy middle that exists between two truths. Either God doesn't exist or he does. There's no happy middle. You can't settle for some place in between the two. And this life under the sun, a worldly point of view, a without God kind of life, is utterly meaningless. And if I was to ask the question to summarize this, what's the point of life? One truth is this, that if you don't believe there's a creator, if you don't believe that there's a God, then there's no point. There's no point to your life. There's no point to anything you do. That all the things that you work for and fight for and, and, and long for, it's pointless. Generations come and generations go. And if all there is is to this life and you make the best of it and if you were the type of person that even though you don't believe in God, you might say, I wanna make the world a better place, you're not gonna make a dent. Because ultimately at the end of the day, our sun is gonna burn up, it's gonna waste away, this earth will waste away, we'll all be forgotten. And maybe some of you become famous. Your fame's not gonna last forever. Maybe some of you create things or, or accomplish things and you think that maybe Separate from God, you can actually make an impact on the environment or against injustice or in the education system. If you actually believe that this is all there is, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, I'm sorry to break it to you. It's a waste of time. Your life is pointless. Anything you do is pointless. Aren't you glad you're here <laughs> on this Sunday morning? You see, it's so easy to get busy with life that you don't slow down enough to reflect on the real meaning of life. There's, uh, actually, can you hand that to me? Let this right here. Let me read this quote. This is a Pulitzer Prize winning biologist from France, Jacques Monod, who says this. He has this perspective of an under the sun perspective, a perspective that God doesn't exist, and he says this. Do you know why we exist? Our number came up like in a Monte Carlo game. We won in the crapshoot. We are accidentally created by the universe to be conscious of the fact that we're accidents. I've got a friend who's an atheist. He says to me, he says, Drew, you do know that we're a cosmic accident, right? You do know that, Drew, don't you? He says this whole thing of love, there's no such thing as love, Drew. He believes this. He has an under the sun perspective. He doesn't believe in the existence of a creator or of God. There's no faith in his life. He is a secular humanist. He believes that his role is to make the world better, but he says love doesn't exist. It's just a chemical reaction that we've learned over time through evolution to sustain ourselves as a species. So that Father's Day card you get today, it doesn't mean anything. Your kids, they don't really love you. 
It's just a chemical reaction. <laughs> and he goes on to say, this friend of mine, he says, you know, this whole concept of art and beauty and, and how we say some things are, are better than others, he says, that's not true. We've assigned value to certain things. There's no beauty in music, no beauty in art, and he goes on and on, and it's, it's overwhelming, it's discouraging, it's depressing, and the writer of Ecclesiastes says, yes, it's meaningless. It's a vanity of vanities. It's like a vapor that you see for a second and it's gone. From an under the sun perspective, if you don't believe in God or a designer or anything out there, then your life is simply a footprint in the sand on the ocean's edge. The waves come, it's gone. So actually, if you live your life from that perspective, there's no real point in helping the environment. There's no point in caring for others. There's no point in being a voice for the voiceless. There's no point in caring for those on the margins. Because it's as if you're on the Titanic and it's sinking and there's a fire in the kitchen and you think you can actually make a difference by pulling out something to put out the fire. It's all going down anyway, so why try? It's utterly depressing. But I said there's two truths, right? And that's what the writer of Ecclesiastes is trying to push you to. That you actually, you have to live your life realizing that a life without God is utterly hopeless, utterly depressing. And yet there is life with God and above the sun perspective. Pull those Bibles back out. I saw some of you put them away. Go to John chapter one. This is in the New Testament. In fact, as I said earlier, the writer of Ecclesiastes does such a great job of asking the real meaningful and profound questions of life. And we actually find not only in Ecclesiastes, but throughout the rest of scripture, the answers to those questions, the answers to what's the point. And as you get to John chapter one, this is just one of many, many places that gives us an above the sun perspective. John says it this way. In the beginning was the word. Let me hear you say logos. That's the Greek word for the English word, word. In the beginning was the logos, and the logos was with God, and the logos was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Now that word logos or logos, this Greek word, it literally means the reason, the purpose, the point. And actually, you go throughout life encountering this concept in your daily life. I'll give uh, an example. Now, I'm looking for a really good pancake recipe. Anybody have a good pancake recipe? Put your hands up, I see that. Fiona, let's talk afterwards, I wanna know. Uh, other hands up, okay. So imagine if I was to say to you, you know, uh, my pancakes, they're just awful. I mean, they're, 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 they're not fluffy, they're bitter. Uh, they're really dark. Uh, they're not circular. They're, they're, they're kind of uh, shredded up. And you might say to me, what are you, give me your ingredients. What, what's the list? And if I gave you maybe the, the list of ingredients and it was the same as Fiona's, Fiona, you would say, okay, there's something wrong in your preparation, right? 
It, Drew, it's you. It's, it's not the ingredients. It's messing those pancakes up. And let's say if I invited you over and anybody else over and, and I showed you how I made pancakes and your, your jaw would hit the floor in this illustration because you would quickly see that I'm trying to make pancakes using my espresso machine. Like that would be crazy, wouldn't it, if I tried to do that? Of course, if I tried to make pancakes using my espresso machine, the pancakes would be broken. They'd be bitter. They'd be destroyed because I don't understand the logos of an espresso machine. I misunderstand the purpose of the espresso machine. But I thought we lived in this world where everything's relative. Can I pick and choose what I want to believe? No, you see, in that moment, I am incorrectly understanding the purpose for that espresso machine. I'm trying to use it in a way that doesn't align with, doesn't jive with, doesn't fulfill how it was designed to be made. Now, in order for me to really use it to its max, I have to go to its designer, to its creator. I have to understand what its purpose is there for. And only then can I actually begin to use it to create a ristretto espresso, something absolutely amazing, rather than these floppy, bitter pancakes. And philosophers throughout life are trying to understand not just the reason for espresso machines, not just the logos of an espresso machine, but what's the logos of life? What's the reason for life? What's the point? In every culture, Every time period is asking that same question. And in the midst of that questioning, in the midst of those Greek philosophers in the first century debating what the logos of life was, the apostle John comes on the scene and he absolutely shatters people's paradigms because he says this is what the logos of life is. It's not a principle. It's not an idea. It's not three bullet points. It's a person. The point of life begins with, ends with, and is defined by a person who in verse one of John one has been here since the beginning, has always been with God, who is God, who all things were created through him and by him and for him. And as it goes down to verse 14, open those Bibles back up of John one, it says this, and the logos, the reason, the point became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. You see, I said there's two truths. A life without God under the sun is completely meaningless. That actually, nothing means anything. But an above the, God, above the sun perspective, a with God sort of life says this that meaning is everywhere. That actually every moment of every day, even the most mundane things that we do throughout life have absolute magnificent and eternal meaning if we actually have a perspective from God's point of view. This past week on Friday, I was cleaning my garage and I ripped open a kind of a, a section of my knuckle. Now if I had a below the sun view of life, I would say, what? why'd that happen? I'd be frustrated, gone with my day. But with an above the sun perspective, a with God kind of view, I look at this and I say, wow, that hurt. But I'm gonna watch it heal. And wow, I, I need more than just physical healing in my life. I need relational healing and emotional healing and spiritual healing. I need, I need 
the sum totality of who I am, my soul, to be healed. And, and only God can do that. And I begin to think about this seemingly meaningless thing and all of a sudden it's tremendous meaning because I begin to think, wow, gosh, my family needs to be healed. This church needs to be healed. My neighborhood needs to be healed. My city needs to be healed. This, this, this country, this world needs to be healed. And actually God is actively at work and actually inviting all of us to be part of that healing, that restoration. We call it the revival and renewal of all things, of every person, every neighborhood, and every city. And this seemingly insignificant thing, all of a sudden has tremendous meaning. I look at why we plant seeds into the ground. I see life coming out of it, and I realize that only when something is buried can life come out of it. It reminds me of the empty cross. How many of you have ever woke up in the middle of the night because of a child, a grandchild, or an alien parent needed your help? Put your hands up. Has that ever happened to you? Okay, another practical example. If you live your life with a below the sun and under the sun perspective, why get up? I mean, think about it. Any response that you have out of love is just a chemical reaction. I mean, literally, why get up out of bed? It's, mini- it's pointless anyway. I mean, why, why do anything in life? That's what the writer of Ecclesiastes is so good at doing. He says, if you follow it to the very end of that road, if you actually believe that God doesn't exist, the only thing you can really do as you go through life is just to inoculate yourself against reality. Have a little fun here, have a little there, but don't really think about the fact that we're all gonna die. Generations come and generations go, but the earth endures forever, but it doesn't even do that. But if you have an above-the-sun perspective, a a point of view from God's perspective that God invites you into through a saving faith relationship with His Son, Jesus, then all of a sudden, you get motivated to wake up at 3 a.m. to care for that child, that grandchild, an alien parent, or somebody in your household because in that sacrifice, you are reminded of God's great sacrifice for you, that you are reminded that, that actually all of humanity is in need of help And that actually when you do that, you are living out what it means to be made in the image of God. You are moving the dial towards more like being an espresso machine making espresso than an espresso machine making pancakes. You see, you are uniquely created in this. That you, unlike anything else, unlike the stars, unlike the mountains, unlike animals, you alone have been created in the image of God. You have a personal creator, a personal designer. There's no one who's like you. As Psalm 139 says that that God knit you together in your mother's womb. That God knows your thoughts, he knows you intimately well. That he has a plan for your life, a purpose for your life and there's tremendous meaning and significance. And if you've come here with only one point of view, one under the sun truth, God says, now is the time to know that there's more to life than just that perspective. That you can actually have a personal relationship with the one who created you and you can actually live this life with tremendous meaning. And some of you have family members or friends or coworkers or neighbors that, that have a point of view that God doesn't exist. And I hope that this sermon series, and I'm not gonna unpack it all today, we're gonna go through this the whole summer, that this sermon series gives you the resources, gives you the tools to begin to have those conversations, to ask questions, to press in out of love. So here's the amazing thing. An under the sun perspective is this, that every interaction you have, ultimately it doesn't matter. 
And above the sun perspective says that every single interaction you have can actually make an impact on eternity. So when you show up to the DMV, or wait in line at the grocery store, or you're in the most mundane, insignificant moment of your life, you can actually see that now can have eternal ramifications. That actually, if you were to share your faith, if you were to share hope, if you were to share love, if you were to be an encouragement, if you were to be a listening ear to point people to Jesus Christ, that actually God could use that. So perhaps 20 years from now, that person through whatever circumstances of their life could remember that interaction with you at the DMV and line at the grocery store, wherever it is, ultimately for them to put their faith and trust in Jesus. And guess what you get to do? You get to sit down with that person in the new heavens and the new earth in eternity and spend billions and billions and trillions and trillions of years laughing, joyously, dancing, thinking about that moment that you could have just missed. That when you wake up in the middle of the night to care for your child, that that is a precursor to all of eternity, serving and loving and caring for. We're not gonna be in heaven, like in the clouds with wings playing harps. That's not what scripture says. It's gonna be a very real, tangible experience where we finally experience the fullness of what we were created for. And that's what we wanna experience this summer. That's what we long for as a church. That you would see that for yourself, and you would see that for others. But all this has to be in response to this loving God. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back up for us as they, as they lead us now in this time of worship, but I want you to imagine this, this profound truth. That you have a God, a creator, that isn't this distracted watchmaker that just sets things in emotions and then goes off about God's business. But you have somebody that, that not only created you but shows up, that longs to express that love in tangible ways. And one of the beautiful things about Scripture is I see that one of the ways that Jesus, who is alive and well, who's at the right hand of the Father, that Jesus has empowered his church to be the hands, to be the feet, to be the literal body of Christ, to extend that love and that graciousness, to be meaning makers in this world. But it has to begin with first receiving that, that good news we have such a good, good Father. Let's pray. Loving God, in this moment, even as we feel the warmth of this place, even as Kendall shared this, this perspective of God, you turning up the heat in our hearts and our lives, God, would it be something that propels us forward to look for meaning everywhere in light of your perspective, in light of Scripture? Would we be like Dietrich Bonhoeffer from so many decades ago who had the Bible open and the newspaper open? That we would be the ones that would narrate the world, that we would give words to what is happening, not out of fear, not out of worry, but out of the truth that you are involved, that you do care, that you are engaged, and you are calling a people to revive and renew all things in the name of Jesus. So God, would we respond in worship? 
And may it simply remind us that you are for us, not against us. In Jesus' name we pray and we say together, 